He's died to make men holy. Let us live to make men free. Uh, that goes much deeper than just any kind of physical battle that, um, that it could be speaking of. We, it is our purpose um, to live in a way, um, preaching the gospel with our lips and with our lives, that men might see a difference and want the freedom we have in Jesus. And that's a powerful song. Thank you so much for that. Um, I hope and pray that each and every one of you have had a great week. I've had a great week. It's been a busy week, but it's been a good week, and I hope you um, can say the same thing. It's been um, busy for me any time that you work for the state of Alabama and you're in the sign business and the signs that you're in charge of putting up and maintaining are on post that the state of Alabama bought from the cheapest bidder, then you've got... Uh, then you've got winds like we had this last week come through. Man, I've had a mess. It's just been twisted up like a pretzel in most places that I go to. It's been that way all week, and so uh, probably be all that, that way the rest of this week, most of next week. But that's all right. I'm, I'd rather be busy as not busy. It's always good to have job security, amen. And uh, thankful for my job, but not for that. Um, couldn't provide for my family, so the Lord's going to bring us through. And I'm thankful for what he's, what he's done for me, so... It has been good uh, this week for me, and it's good to see you tonight. And uh, I praise God that you are here. Uh, God is good. He's great, the Bible says, and greatly to be praised. And so uh, it's always good to be able to come together with God's people, get in the presence of God with the people of God, the Word of God, and the place of God. And that's what we want to do tonight. Very quickly, before we get into a business meeting, I want to speak to you something that the Lord has spoke to my heart this week. How many of you know that God wants to be close to you? That he's not hiding from you in any way? I want, I want you to get a hold of that. I want you to know that. James chapter number 4 and verse number 8, the Bible says it like this. God says that if we will draw nigh unto him, that he will in turn draw nigh unto us. That means if you want to be close to the God of all creation, he wants to be close to you. That, that amazes me. That blesses my soul. Um, folks, if I could illustrate it for you, I would, um, I, let me just tell you a story that I think would, would make more sense to you than maybe anything else. I remember when I first turned 16 years old and uh, got my first car. My first car was a 64 Ford Fairlane with a big old bench seat in it. And uh, the first time I ever went and picked up my girlfriend, which is now my wife, I can remember what happened just as soon as we got out of the sight distance of her house. She slid over next to me. She drawed near to me. Amen. Just as close as she could get on that bent seat. And it was almost like it took two of us to drive one car. Amen. <laughs> if you would have been meeting us on the road or riding behind us, you would have thought there was one person in that car. She had drawn so close to me. Now, the feeling was mutual on my part. When she started drawing close to me, I started drawing close to her. And that's really the picture that's being painted for us here in the Word of God. It's almost like God is saying, I want to be close to you. I'm not hiding from you. But I want to be close to you as long as you want to be close to me. How many of you know God is such a gentleman? He is not going to force himself on you. But when he sees that you are willing to draw close to him, he says, I will in turn draw close to you. And so really what the God of heaven is saying, what the God of the universe is saying to you and to me tonight, is if you want to be close to me, I want to be close to you, but you move first. You make the decision to draw to me. Get hungry for me. 
Want what I have for you, and I will in turn draw nigh to you. That's an amazing thing. And then it tells us how we do it. It says we're to cleanse our, our, our hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I want you to understand and know if you want to be close to God, you can be. But listen to me now. Anything that is keeping, hindering you from being what God wants you to be, anything that is breaking that fellowship that God wants with you, you need to get it out of the way so that nothing will hinder your walk with Jesus, your fellowship with Jesus. So God wants to be close to us. And folks, in my opinion, that might be the greatest blessing I see in the Word of God. I mean, I can understand why I myself would want to be close to the God of heaven, but what blows my mind, what I can't get over, is that God himself wants to be close to me. He so much wants to be close to me and to you, he put his son on the cross so that we might have a personal relationship with him. And that just blows my mind. I just cannot get over the love of God. Wow, it's amazing. He wants to speak to you. Do you, do you realize that? If you believe God wants to speak to you tonight, say amen. amen. Now I want you to get the picture. The God who split the Red Sea and allowed the children of Israel to cross, to cross on dry land, listen, on their way to the promised land, kick it up dust, that same God wants to speak to you tonight. If you believe that, say amen. amen. The same God who took the stone from David's sling and placed it into the forehead of Goliath is the same God that wants to speak to you tonight. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Wow, God himself. The the Lord has given me a message on that that I, I hope to get to preach sooner rather than later. How many of you know God has a stone for every Goliath you face? Every giant that's bigger than you, everything that you know you can't overcome in your power, God's got a stone for that giant. God's got a stone for your Goliath. The God who stopped the sun in the middle of the day in Joshua chapter 10 so that the people of Israel might win the battle. The Bible says in Joshua 10, 13, God stopped the sun from moving in the middle of the sky and then he fought the battle for the Israelites. That same God wants to speak to you if you believe it, say amen. Now listen, how does God speak to us? How does God speak? He speaks through his precious word. Does he speak through the still small voice? Absolutely. But tonight I want us to know he definitely, listen, authoritatively speaks through his precious word. Amen. You need to get a hold of that. I want you to understand when you take time to make time to get along with Jesus in your blessed Bible, God will speak to you. I can't stress the importance of that in your Christian walk. That daily you get along with the Lord in His Word. I'm telling you, I'm reading through the book of Galatians devotionally this week. And it's a great book to do that with because it's just six chapters long. And so what I've been doing is just reading a chapter a day. And I just start off with prayer. Listen, I start off and I ask God to search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And if there is, that he would reveal it to me so that I might confess it unto him, get that right, so that nothing hinders my communication with him. So that I get exactly what I need to see from his precious word. And then I dig in. I feast on God's word and I'm telling you something. God continually will speak to you and this book will burst a flame in your hand if you'll take time to spend time in the word of God. Young people, 
Take time. Make time to spend time in God's Word. All of us, we all need to hear that message. Not just time on Sunday or time on Wednesday, but time on Monday at the house. Not just in the church house, but in your house. Not just at church, but at work. Wherever you might be, get along with God. He'll speak to you. He wants to speak to you. I'm talking about the God who breathed the stars into existence. Who stood on nothing and by his spoken word created everything, wants to speak to you. Wow, it's amazing. I love it when God gives you what you need right when you need it. And he does that through his precious word. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, he said it like this, the man who would truly know God must give time to him. We must do it. We got to do it. Well, let me, let me share with you something here in Galatians chapter 2 um, that God spoke to my heart. I'm gonna, I know this has been this meeting night, and I'm going to go through this very quickly, and then we'll get into our business thing, but I just got to share it with you. Galatians chapter 2, and I want us to look at verse number 11. Now, let me catch you up on what's happened, why the book of Galatians is even written. It was written to a group of churches in the region of Galatia by the Apostle Paul for the purpose, now the reason he wrote it is because there were certain ones in the church whom he said had crept in. They were a bunch of creeps. Amen. Now listen, these creeps that were in Galatia, they were preaching a false gospel. They were called Judaizers. And really what they were saying was, listen, you can have Jesus, you can believe on Jesus, but to really be made right with God, to be justified with God, you've got to believe on Jesus, but then you've got to keep the law. You've got to be under the old covenant, keep the ceremonial law and, and all the law that we see throughout the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul, listen, he writes this letter and he stripes their legs pretty good. I mean, he really does. He calls them dogs. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Someone's lied to you. Someone's led you in the wrong direction. And he said, it's these Judaizers, these dogs. And so folks, he, he spoke very sternly to them. And rightly so. Anybody who is preaching or teaching a wrong gospel, a false gospel, needs to be spoken harshly to. And, and, and so he writes Galatians for the purpose of teaching, listen, it's all about Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. See, Paul preached like we talked about two weeks ago, salvation comes by grace through faith. God's undeserved favor poured out upon me when I choose to place my trust in Jesus. His finished work at the cross. Wow. I, I'm just glad I got in on that. How about you? The law couldn't save me because I couldn't keep the law. So God did for me in the person of Jesus what I couldn't do for myself. He kept the law perfectly, then paid for my sin. And now by grace I'm saved. Amen. Amen. Paul said any other gospel is a false gospel. Amen. And, and, and so he makes his argument in Galatians chapter 2 in speaking of a conflict he had with Peter. And he said that um, him and Peter didn't see eye to eye on some things. Now that may be surprising to you. Here we have some um, giants in the faith, in the Christian faith. I'm talking about Paul who wrote 13 books of the New Testament. I believe he wrote 14 books of the New Testament. I believe he wrote the book of Hebrews. 
Now, you don't have to believe that, and I can't prove that, but if you read the writings in Hebrews, it sounds a whole lot like Paul, I'll tell you that. But we know he wrote 13 books in the New Testament that we have. That's amazing. Went, over th- went on three missionary journeys all over the known world at that time, starting churches everywhere. It's through the ministry of the Apostle Paul that we have come to faith in Jesus. Wow. Great man of God. Then we talk about Peter, probably my favorite apostle. You remember Peter? Walked on water with Jesus, first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. He preached a message and 3,000 people got saved. Wrote the book of First and Second Peter. You're talking about some powerful truth in that. Two giants of the Christian faith, but they didn't see eye to eye. Guess what? If it's possible for Peter and Paul to have a disagreement or conflict, it's possible for us as well. Amen. And they did. Look, verse number 11, chapter 2. It says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. He said, because he was to be blamed. And so Paul said, listen, me and Peter didn't see eye to eye on some things, and so I went face to face with him, and I talked to him about what the problems that I had. And how many of you understand, listen to me now, that's the way we handle conflict today. That's the way it's supposed to be handled. Jesus said as much in Matthew chapter number 18, verse number 15. He says, if you have a problem with a brother, you go see that brother face to face and work it out in Christian love. Are you hearing me? Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. We've got a fantastic church right here. You believe that? Me too. I believe God's working in this church. There's a a spirit of, of love in this church. There's the power of the Spirit that gives me the freedom to preach. And I'm going to tell you, it's not like that anywhere and everywhere. I'm thankful that God is working and moving, touching people's lives right here in our midst. we got a great church, a powerful church, a living church, a growing church, a loving church. But I'll tell you this, we ain't got a perfect church. There'll be conflict in this church just like any other church you ever go to. Let me tell you why. We're imperfect people in an imperfect world with different likes and dislikes, different personalities. And because of that, sometimes we have conflict. But when conflict arises, it's good to do just what God's Word says. Paul said, when I had a conflict with Peter, when there was something I didn't agree with that Peter was doing, I went to him face to face. Let me tell you two people you ought to talk with if you've got a conflict with someone. First of all, you ought to talk to Jesus about it. Listen, folks, just go tell Jesus all about it. Do you know there's a lot of times I just spill my heart to Jesus? I tell on everybody about to Jesus. You said, brothers, that's all right. We tell on you too. Great. (laughs) Bring it on. That's what I want. Let me tell you why I say that. Because when I talk to Jesus, I'm talking to somebody that can make a difference in this situation. Let me tell you what I found out. I have found out that, man, if I've got a problem with a brother or sister in Christ and I go to Jesus with it and I start telling him everything that's going on, One of two things happens. Either he starts convicting that person's heart or he convicts my heart. And either way, I'm okay with it as long as the conflict is resolved. Amen. He'll either fix me or fix them. And that's all right. Sometimes I need fixing. 
So the first person you ought to talk to is talk to Jesus about it. Let me tell you something. Then you ought to go talk to that person. Don't talk about the person. Just go talk to the person. Are you hearing me? That's the way we handle things. That's what Jesus said do. That's what Paul did when conflict arose in the church. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've had to do that. That's not a pleasant experience. The Lord has convicted my heart before over some animosity I had toward a brother or sister in Christ. And I just had to go to him and say, look, man, I've been mad at you. My heart ain't been right towards you, and I ask you to forgive me. I did that one time with a brother, and he broke down crying, and I broke down crying. We hugged necks and got it right. It wasn't easy. I had to swallow pride and do it. But once I did it, it fixed the conflict. It fixed the situation. I've had people come to me and say, Brother Israel, I've got this problem with you. I've got that problem with you. And man, we'll get together in Christian love and work that thing out. Let me tell you what happens. Those brothers and those sisters that I've dealt with in that way or have dealt with me in that way have come the closest friends that I have. Let me tell you why. That relationship's real. That's not based upon any false pretenses. They know where I stand. I know where they stand. They know they can come to me. I know I can go to them. Listen, and in the love of Christ, we can work it out. That's where it should happen. Don't allow a molehill to turn into a mountain. Don't allow a splinter to fester. You know what happens when that little splinter festers, don't you? It gets painful to the touch. And if you don't deal with that little splinter, that little speck, before long that that which festers will get infected. And if you keep letting it go, that infection can cause you to lose a whole hand. When nobody wants to lose hands, nobody wants to lose fingers, nobody wants to lose pieces or parts of the body of Christ, do what you can to work the conflict out. Amen? Amen? Is it always going to happen? No, but do what you can. Do what God says. Now, why was there such conflict? I love this. Look at verse 12. For before that certain came from James, now James was in Jerusalem, and so uh, Paul says there were some folks who came from Jerusalem, and he did eat with the Gentiles. He's saying before those that came from Jerusalem came to Antioch, where Paul and Peter were at that time, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But look what else he says. But when they were come, he, or Peter, withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Now those which were of the circumcision were the Jewish believers that had came from Jerusalem. Now why is this such a big deal? You know, as as well as I do, if you are students of Old Old Testament scriptures, you know the Jewish nation was forbidden to eat certain foods. Certain foods were called unclean and certain foods were called clean. The Jewish man or woman who were walking by faith, who believed in what God said, could not eat of the unclean animal. Now then, once uh, Jesus came along, and listen, we were given a much better covenant based upon much better promises, all that changed. And now, uh, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, as long as you give thanks for it, just go ahead and eat it. Well, praise God. One of the greatest blessings we have as Gentiles and as believers is that we can eat bacon. If you, got, if you need a reason to praise Jesus, just praise Him for bacon. Now that we are under the new covenant, we can eat bacon all we want. 
In the Old Testament, they couldn't do that. Matter of fact, I have got eight center-cut pork chops in my refrigerator right now that I grilled last night. I'm going to tear into when I get to the house. Why? I'm under the new covenant, brothers and sisters. I'm no longer under the law. I'm under grace. Well, Peter was too. And so while he was at Antioch, he was eating with those Gentile brothers. He probably had him a pork chop or two. Might have had him a slice or two of bacon. But when the Jewish believers came from Jerusalem, he left the table of the Gentile and went with the Jewish believer. And somehow, I believe, got up on his spiritual high horse a little bit. After all, he was a Jew. He was now a believer. And it was almost like he left his Gentile brothers that he had been staying with, eating with, fellowshipping with. Now they weren't good enough anymore. And Paul said, I had to go face to face with him about that. Listen, watch what he says. Verse number 13, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. I love that part of that verse. He said, I saw they didn't walk uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. What's the truth of the gospel? Well, first of all, the truth of the gospel is this. Jesus saves. The law don't save. And what kind of meat you eat don't save you. And keeping the law don't save you. Jesus saves. Let me tell you something else that's true about the gospel. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't care who you came from, where you've been, what you've done, what your family history is. I don't care if you can trace it all the way back to Abraham. Listen, you still got to come to Jesus the same way as everybody else. The truth of the gospel is that all can be saved and all need to be saved. Amen. No one is any better than anyone else. And Paul said, I seen what was going on and that just wasn't right. And I went to him face to face. I seen that they weren't walking upright according to the truth of the gospel. You know what I think? I think there'd be a whole lot less conflict if we just made it all about the gospel. I'm talking about putting petty things aside and just love God, love people, and preach Jesus. How about you? He explains it to us in verse 16. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, if you believe it, say amen. We're not made right by what we can do according to our self-righteousness by the law. We can't do it. It's just not good enough. But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Let, let me ask you something, church. What does justified mean? Amen, brother, to be made right. So it's not by the works of the law that anybody is going to be made right in the eyes of God. It's only by grace. Amen. 
He explains it further. Look with me, please, to verse number 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. What does it mean when he says, I am crucified with Christ? Well, crucifixion brings death. Really what Paul is saying is, I have crucified the old man. <laughs> if you want to go back to the original argument, to the original conflict, I think the point he's trying to make is, if anybody knows about being a Jew, if anybody knows about the law, it was Paul. He was born a Jew, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. He sat at the feet of the greatest teachers in Jerusalem at that time. He was a Pharisee, the most strict religious sect the Jewish people had. Very zealous toward the law. But he said, you know what? When I crucified the old man, the old man died. Wow. You know that's true for you too? You know that the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, we are wrecking ourselves dead to the old man. But so many times, you know what we do? All of us. That old man that's been crucified, we dig him up. We drag him out of the grave. We hang him around our neck. And the only thing for the purpose of this message you need to know about death is this. Death stinks to high heaven. Should I, should I, tell, should I tell this? I'm going to tell it. A week and a half ago, we walked into our house. And there was a, f don't tell it, let me tell it. <laughs> it's going it's to bring it all full circle, baby. It's going to be fine. We, we walked into our house and there was a funky aroma, I'll just say that, <laughs> coming from behind the television. And my wife kept saying, honey, there's something stinking in this. I didn't smell anything. I, I, you know the, the, uh, the commercial, you become nose blind? That's the way I was. I didn't smell nothing. Smell fine. She said, I smell something. My wife has got a great smeller. I smell something. I said, all right. So we start looking. And guess what we found? Dead mouse. Over behind the television. Now, why did I tell that story? <laughs> she said, I don't know. Why <laughs> I told it to, to, to listen, to let you know. Like you didn't already know, but the story brought it all. Death stinks. Now let me tell you something. Brother Johnny preached to us Sunday, done a fantastic job talking about the sweet-smelling Savior we are to be to the Lord Jesus. Our lives are to be like aroma, reaching all the way to heaven that pleases God. Well... When we dig that old man up that's dead, that's been dead, when we hang him around our neck, our lives stink to high heaven. And I'll tell you this, not only does Jesus smell it, the people you work with, the people you live with, the people you go to church with, everybody around you smells it. Nobody wants that. They want life. They want newness, they want peace, they want joy, they want love, they want patience, they want faith, they want temperance, they want meekness, they want kindness. They want to see it in us. He says, nevertheless, I live, I've been crucified, but I'm alive. <laughs> 
Yet not I, but Christ. Jesus lives in me. Wow. Think about that. You know that Jesus was God way before Bethlehem? Way before Genesis, there was Jesus. <laughs> way before the first speck of light uh, came into this dark world, there was Jesus. He was God in eternity past. He's God in eternity present. He will forever be God in eternity future. He is the eternal existent one. But my Bible says right here in Galatians 2.20, it's Christ that lives in me. The Apostle Paul said, I have this treasure in earthen vessels. He said in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he's now become the temple of the Holy Ghost. He says, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. At the moment you were converted, at the moment you trusted in Jesus, you were indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and now Jesus lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? Now it's no longer to be me living. It's my body. But praise God, it's His life. And when Jesus is living in me and living through me, when He's loving through me, makes all the difference. Doesn't it? How is that possible? Have you ever heard it said we give our heart to Jesus? Well, we do. But it, when we talk about our heart, are we talking about that fleshy thing on the inside of us that pumps gallons of blood through our body daily? No. When we talk about our heart, when the Bible says that, it's talking about our psyche. It's talking about our mind, our will, and our emotion. Our mind is to be changed so that we have the mind of Christ. We are to relinquish our will to His will. And I'll tell you something else. When that takes place, it'll do something for your emotion. I don't apologize for getting emotional about Jesus. You shouldn't apologize for being passionate about Jesus. Hey, listen, there's sometimes the Lord just breaks my heart and I cry like a baby. I don't apologize for that. That's okay. It's okay for you too. It's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We give our all to Him. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If we could be forgiven by self-righteous works that we commit in keeping the law, then Jesus never had to die. He had to die because we couldn't keep the law. He came and kept it for us then paid our sin debt that separated us from, from His Holy Father. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Wow. I am thankful tonight that Jesus lives in me. How about you? Christ over conflict. Do I have a motion winner in the business meeting?